Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. The story of what happened to Ryan Waller will both disturb and enrage you. On December 23rd, 2006, 18-year-old Ryan Waller was at home with his girlfriend Heather enjoying the Christmas holidays when there was a violent break-in. Two men entered their home and shot both Ryan and Heather. Sadly, Heather would die from her injuries. However, Ryan would be found miraculously still alive, though clearly very badly bruised and injured. Instead of being taken to the hospital to be treated for what would turn out to be very serious injuries, the police brought him to the police station to interrogate him for Heather's murder. Ryan didn't remember much about what had happened during this supposed break-in, which led investigators to believe that this story about the intruders was a lie. 
and he had actually murdered his girlfriend. What the police didn't know was that Ryan had been shot in the face and he was internally bleeding. He tried to answer their questions while clearly in a lot of pain. However, they continued to press him for information before finally deciding to send him to the hospital to be treated. Ryan would spend 35 days fighting for his life in the hospital before being released with severe head trauma and lifelong injuries that would ultimately claim his life. Ryan Waller's story is a tragic tale of what happens when the police get it very wrong. So let's jump in. Ryan Waller was born on February 12, 1988 in Knoxville, Tennessee. Growing up, his parents said that he loved music and he enjoyed playing the guitar and rapping along with his favorite songs. His father would say that he had a knack for picking up beats and remembering lyrics of songs that he heard for the very first time. Ryan would eventually move to Phoenix, Arizona, where he would graduate from high school and begin dating 21-year-old Heather Kwan. The couple seemed like an odd matching, with Ryan aspiring to be in a rock band someday and Heather just finishing up her college diploma with plans to go to law school next. But they were a great match, spending the last eight months with each other and even taking that next step to move in together. Heather was this beautiful, thoughtful, and passionate young woman who knew what she wanted and she was going to get it. She had dreams of becoming a defense attorney someday, which is really sad and ironic. When she wasn't attending classes at ASU, she would volunteer as a big sister with the Valley Big Brother Sister Program. Her family would say, quote, From a very young age, Heather seemed to sense when another person was hurting and gave her friendship to those who needed it most. Ryan and Heather were excited to have a few days to spend the Christmas holidays together. Now, there are some questions about when exactly this break-in took place. It would be documented in all of the police reports that the break-in happened on December 23rd, 2006. However, there are allegations that the timeline has been changed to fit the narrative of the Phoenix Police Department. Once you hear the details of how badly they botched this investigation, you're going to see why there are some people, including Ryan's family, that think that the break-in actually occurred on Christmas Day. Either way, Ryan and Heather had planned to spend a quiet evening in, taking advantage of the ability to watch some TV alone together in the living room while their third roommate, Alicia, was out of the house. They were hanging out in the living room when suddenly they heard the doorbell ring at the back door. They weren't sure who it was because they weren't expecting anyone and they had only been living in the home together for about a month and a half. And who would be ringing the back doorbell? Ryan got up and he went to go see who it was, while Heather remained seated on the couch in the living room. There were two people on the other side of that door who Ryan was moderately familiar with. He definitely did not anticipate what would happen next when he opened that door. They pushed their way in as Ryan tried to push it back shut. One of the men was able to get his arm inside the doorway and he shot Ryan right in the face. Ryan fell to the ground and then he was shot a second time as the two men were then able to just walk inside. 
The two men found Heather sitting in the living room, and they shot her in the head. Then they fled the scene, assuming that both Ryan and Heather were dead. According to the timeline in the police reports, a few days would pass, and now it was Christmas Day, December 25th, 2006. Ryan had previously made plans with his family to go over to their house for Christmas dinner. So Christmas dinner is here, the whole family is there, they're getting ready to eat, and Ryan still has not arrived. His father, Don, would try to ring him a few times on the phone just to see what was holding him up, but there was no answer. When he didn't show up for dinner and no one could get a hold of him, Ryan's parents decided to head over to his house to see that everything was okay. They were really worried at this point. It's Christmas and they haven't heard from their son at all. In their minds, maybe he has gotten into a car accident on the way over, or maybe he's really sick. Just before 8pm that evening, they arrive at Ryan and Heather's home, and they begin knocking on the front door, ringing the doorbell, but there's no answer, and there is no noise coming from inside. They have no idea whether Ryan's home or not because the garage door is closed, so they don't know if his car is there or if he's already left. All they know is that this is extremely uncharacteristic of him. So they phone the police to request a welfare check be done. At this point, it's not a huge priority for the police. It's Christmas Day. They have a lot of calls, and it takes them another three hours to actually have someone go to visit Ryan's house for that welfare check. And I'm not blaming them for this, but time was a huge factor in this case. It's already been supposedly two days since the break-in. Two officers finally arrive at the home where Ryan's parents are still waiting, and they begin knocking on the doors and the windows, calling out to see who is home. When one of the officers shines his flashlight through one of the windows, he sees what he believes to be a body lying on the floor. Now, he has no idea if the body that he sees is alive or dead, so one might think that the officers would radio for backup and an ambulance before going inside and clearing the scene and seeing if anyone needs help. The police officers wait until they have a search warrant in place before they go inside. This was a huge failing in my opinion. They have no idea if the body that they can see through the window is of someone who is alive or deceased, and either way, this is a serious situation that requires immediate intervention. Who is to say that the perpetrator isn't still in the house and possibly in the process of hurting another victim? Legally, these officers would have had no issue going into this home without a search warrant. This exact type of situation where someone's life is on the line is one where the police have every authority to enter a home without a warrant. Yet, they waited an additional hour for that search warrant to come through before going inside. Worst of all, Ryan's parents were still at the house waiting for someone, anyone, to do something to help. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so 
I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in true accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals that are also dietitian approved. No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon, because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day, because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious, with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Now, when this search warrant finally comes through, there are now 10 more police cruisers at the scene and a helicopter hovering above. So this is a very serious situation. For whatever reason, though, instead of breaking down the door, which they can, they have the tools for, they call in a locksmith to see if this person can try to get in the front door. But the locksmith can't seem to do it. 
So they all go around to the back of the house to see if the locksmith is able to break into that lock. And that's when they hear Ryan himself just inside the door. After all of this time, he is still alive, though he looks like absolute hell. Ryan is covered in big black and purple bruises on his face. In particular, his left eye is dark, swollen, and bleeding. He's alive, he's speaking, though not coherently. It's clear that he's injured, but it's not clear to what extent. As the police move through the doorway, which Ryan has now unlocked for them, they see Heather's body lying on the couch in the living room. Heather is not as lucky as Ryan. She is deceased from the gunshot wound that she received to the head. The first impression by the police is that Heather has been murdered, shot in her living room, and Ryan must be the perpetrator. They assume that all of the visible injuries that are on him must be defensive wounds. They don't take any time to ask questions, and right off the bat, they treat this as a case of domestic violence. They begin shouting at him to get on the ground. Ryan is conscious, but he is disoriented. He looks confused. He's asking them what's happening, and he doesn't appear to know what is going on. The police move in on him, they slam him to the ground, and they put him into handcuffs. Ryan, who is battered and bloody, is then put into the back of the police cruiser while investigators begin to tape off the crime scene. He would sit in the back of the cruiser for hours while the crime scene was processed. Officers would stop by the cruiser to try to get any information out of him that they could, but Ryan didn't seem to have any answers, which only frustrated the officers further. At one point, while Ryan was still in the police car, an ambulance would arrive at the scene, along with the coroner, to declare Heather deceased and to remove her body from the home. Ryan was still not offered any kind of medical attention at that point. Eventually, in the early morning hours of December 26th, Ryan is taken to the police station and he's put into the interrogation room where he would be interviewed by detectives. The interview would be captured on camera and it's a really difficult watch. In it, Ryan is seen looking like he has just taken the beating of his life. His head and his face are bloody, in particular his left eye. His left eye looks almost as if someone punched it in, but unbeknownst to the police, it was actually black and swollen and bleeding as a result of a gunshot wound. And if they had taken just a moment to have a medical professional maybe look at Ryan, they would have known that. The interrogation video is over an hour long, and in the video, Ryan is heard moaning in pain, and he's seen putting his head on the table in complete exhaustion. He struggles with simple comprehension, and he's basically unable to answer any questions. You know why you're down here, Ryan? You have no idea why you're down here? Mm -hmm. Okay. Ryan, I'm gonna... Let me read you something so I, you could under, you understand uh, because I don't under, I don't know what happened, okay? 
So I'm going to read you something to make sure you understand your rights. Okay? Basically, I'm going to read you. You've seen cops before, right? Ever seen a TV show cops or CSI or anything like that? Okay. Ever seen that? No. You've never seen any kind of cop show? Lawyer show? Any kind of show? Yeah. Okay. What's the um, highest grade you went through school? I don't know. I don't know. You don't know what the highest grade you went through? Eighth? You, eighth grade? Did you graduate? Yeah. Did you, do you have a GED? I don't know. You don't uh, know what? I don't know. I don't know. I just want to go home. Oh, you're, you're not going to go home right now. Four. What's the highest grade that you completed? B? No. Not, not grade, as in letter grade. I'm asking, did you graduate high school? No. And the highest you went was eighth grade? Mm hmm. Yep. Do you know how to read and write, Ryan? Yeah. Do you have a girlfriend? Mm -hmm. No? Do you know, you know a girl named Heather? Mm-hmm. Do you know Heather's last name? Mm-hmm. What is Heather's last name? Um, the one that lives there right now? I guess, I don't know. If her name's Heather, what's her last name? Um, I don't know which name she's trying to use as her last one. She's trying to have a real last as her nickname, so I don't know. What nickname does she go by? She probably wants the last name, Kaiman. Kaiman? How would you spell that? With a K or a C? K. Keep going? I don't know. How old is Heather? 16 or 17. Is she a white girl? Yeah. How did you meet Heather? I've known her since school. Okay. I don't know. You just known her from school? She used to be a business name. I don't know. She used to be, do a business name? She used to be in my book named Business Name. Oh, okay. She used to be in the class, your business class? Mm-hmm. All right. What happened to your face? I don't know. You told the officer just a few minutes ago that someone hit you. Do you remember who hit you? Um, I don't know. I think it was Heather. Why would Heather hit you? I don't know. It was an accident. I forgot why. What was an accident? Heather's last name? No. 
What was an accident? Heather hitting me. What did she hit you with? Her hand and the eye. Did you guys have an argument? Not really, no. Not really? Uh-uh. What happened for her to hit you in the eye like that? She just hit me on an accident. She was giving Christina a head. She was what? She was helping Christina with her hair or something. I don't know. Who's Christina? She's on the couch. Christina's on the couch? Ryan has no recollection of any of the events from the break-in, and he can't even remember that he finished high school. He hardly seems to know anything about his girlfriend Heather, including her last name or her age. Something is very off with his demeanor, but investigators assume that he's just being a difficult suspect, so they keep pushing on. The officer asks Ryan directly what happened to his face. At first, he says that he doesn't know. Then he says that Heather hit him and that it was an accident. As the detective keeps asking questions, the story seems to go in circles and it becomes more wild and difficult to understand. He talks about people who weren't even there. He forgets who his roommate is. He thinks that Heather is someone else's girlfriend. Ryan is just not with it. Then, a little over half an hour into the interrogation, the story that Ryan is telling begins to make sense. He mentions a man named Richie Carter and his father, Larry, who he says came to the house and hit both him and Heather with, quote, bow and arrows. I don't know. I just want to go to sleep, man. That's it. Hey, Ryan? Huh? Huh? There's a dead girl in your living room. She's dead? Yes. Heather? I don't know. I want to know what happened in your house last night. The girl on the couch is dead? I don't know. If she's on the couch, she's dead. Well, these people came over. Machine is dead. With shooting arrow, bow and darts. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They hit me and her with those. That's it. And Heather wasn't there. And Eric wasn't there. It was just me and Heather. What was there? You and Heather were there. And then what happened? And that's it. Richie and his dad tried to break in in the back. Richie and dad? His dad? Mm hmm. Who's Richie? I don't know. Well, you obviously know him. You know his name by he Richie. He used to live there. Was he a roommate of yours? He used to be. And they... They hit you and... They hit you? Yeah. Now it's Richie that hit you? Not Heather? No, Richie and his dad. Richie and his dad. They hit you? Yes. Why? Because they're trying to get their stuff. I don't know why. And they had some kind of bow and arrows? Mm-hmm. They each had two revolvers and they didn't laugh any shells. Ryan reveals that he thinks he has been shot in the eye. But the detective doesn't seem to believe much of what he's saying. 
You're saying bows and arrows, you're saying revolvers, and you're saying some other thing, and they, you're saying they shot you in the eye. Okay? They shot you with a revolver in your eye. Yes. And that's Is it. it a BB gun? No, it was a real gun, man. It was just a if revolver. They shot you in the eye with a revolver. You wouldn't be talking to me right now. How do you know? Was most likely you'd be dead. Okay, I'm not a medical professional, and I can understand that this police officer is not a medical professional. But truly, looking at Ryan's face, even if I hadn't put the pieces together before, now I would be calling in a medical team very quickly. His confusion and slurred speech, the giant, swollen, bleeding, gaping wound in his eyeball also might be a good indicator that he's telling the truth. Eventually, after a grueling interrogation that is going absolutely nowhere, the detective asks if he can see Ryan's eye wound a little closer. He leans right in to look close at his eye, and I can't imagine what he must have felt in his gut when he noticed that Ryan, in fact, had been shot in his left eye. He literally just says, be right back. Then he calls in emergency services to get Ryan to the hospital. Oh, my head hurts. Okay. Yeah, be, be right back. It has now been over six hours since Ryan was first found at his home. And it's been much longer than that since he had been shot. Ryan would be listed in critical condition due to an infection that spread to his brain. According to Ryan's father, the physician told him that this infection had spread quickly because of the delay in receiving medical attention after being shot. One of the bullets had entered the left side of his face, and it was now stuck behind his eye, and this had caused his eye and his brain to swell. There was also a ton of internal injury due to bullet splinters and bone fragments, and his jaw, it was broken, and this had happened during that arrest at his home. In the end, after spending 35 days in the hospital recovering and fighting for his life, Ryan would lose his left eye and a large portion of his brain, but he was alive. He would suffer from severe seizures for the remainder of what would be a very short life. While Ryan was in the hospital, the Phoenix police were able to identify and locate the real perpetrators of the break-in and murder of Heather Kwan. They quickly arrested Richie Carver, the man who had shot Ryan Waller through the opening in that door. Ryan and Richie were practically strangers to one another before this happened. I've seen many media outlets report that Richie was a former roommate of Ryan's, but this is actually untrue. Richie used to live in the home that Ryan now lived in with Heather and Alicia. Ryan and Richie had only met a couple of times, including once when Richie went to pick up his mail from the house. So why did Richie show up to the home and shoot two people that he hardly even knew? The theory is that it was simply a break-in gone wrong. Richie had been caught sneaking around the property once before by Ryan. 
With it being close to the holidays, it's thought that they were betting that no one would be home that night. Richie had taken his father, Larry, with him to the break-in, where the two forced their way in with guns. When word spread that Richie had been picked up by the police for the shootings, Larry went on the run from the police, but he was caught a short while later. He was legit ready for his son to take a fall for everything. Both Richie and Larry were arrested for murdering Heather and for shooting Ryan in the break-in. Larry's wife, Cheryl, would give a very damning interview to the police, saying that her husband had confessed to her about the murders right after it happened. She alleged that Larry said that he was going to help Richie collect some of his belongings that he still had left over at that house that he used to rent, the one that was now rented by Ryan, Heather, and Alicia. When Larry returned home later that evening, Allegedly, he said to Cheryl, quote, I've just fucked up. I killed two people and I gotta get out of here. And then he would go on the lam. Cheryl would deny ever saying any of this to the police. And in court, she would invoke her spousal testimonial privilege, meaning she could not be forced to testify against her husband at his trial. For this reason, The charges against Larry were dropped because there just wasn't enough evidence to prove that he was there without Cheryl's statement. Heather Kwan's family was rightfully outraged that she could pull this card and Larry was just able to walk free. They appealed to have the spousal privilege amended so that it could be revoked if the spouse provides criminal information about their spouse willingly, which Cheryl did. Their efforts paid off, and Heather's law was passed in Arizona. Larry's case would be reopened to include his wife Cheryl's testimony. Ultimately, Larry would be charged with first-degree murder, attempted first-degree murder, burglary, and aggravated assault. As for his son, Richie, the mastermind of this senseless plan, he was convicted of felony murder, burglary, aggravated assault, and misconduct involving weapons. He was sentenced to life with no possibility of parole, which is good. This was not his first rodeo. It was all just escalating leading up to this. He does not deserve to see the light of day. In the end, the right people would wind up behind bars for murdering Heather Kwan and for shooting Ryan Waller in the face twice. Ryan was lucky to have survived the shooting, but he lacked a quality of life for the remainder of his years. He would suffer from painful seizures, he was permanently blind in his left eye, and he suffered from brain trauma that was similar to that of someone with dementia. His friends and family reported that he would ask the same questions and he would tell the same stories over and over and over again. He had difficulty remembering just about everything. The Waller family would attempt to sue the Phoenix Police Department for the way that they mishandled this case. They suggested that, if not for the police delaying Ryan's medical treatment, he would not have the lifelong injuries that he was left to deal with. The lawsuit would never make it to trial. The city of Phoenix filed a motion for dismissal. They presented a report by a brain expert that they hired to evaluate Ryan's medical file. According to the report, the six-hour medical delay would have made no difference to Ryan's overall current medical condition. 
While the Wallers fully disagreed and they had their own expert who believed otherwise, the lawsuit was dismissed. As I have alluded to, there is speculation of a cover-up here. There are allegations that dates have been changed on all of the police reports in order to cover up the actions by the Phoenix Police Department. The reports say that the shootings happened on December 23rd, 2006, but it is believed that they actually happened on December 25th, 2006, Christmas Day, and the same day that Ryan and Heather were discovered in the home. Ryan and Heather's third roommate, Alicia, has testified that the incident did happen on Christmas Day, and Ryan's own parents say that on the evening of December 23rd, he was actually at their home helping remodel their bathroom, so he couldn't have been at his house at that time. The theory is that if the shootings happened on December 23rd, then that sort of diminishes the severity of that six-hour window where medical intervention was not offered to Ryan. If the shootings happened on December 25th, as Ryan's parents allege, then that is a much shorter window and a much more critical window where Ryan could have been helped. I can't say one way or another. I'm just a lady with a true crime podcast, but I'll have all the sources in my show notes so you can have a look and be the judge for yourself. Sadly, on January 20th, 2016, less than 10 years after the shootings, Ryan Waller would have a seizure while he was out grocery shopping, resulting in a fall where he hit his head so badly that he bled out. This is a very tragic end to an already tragic and senseless incident. So I'd love to know what you think. We know that the police initially got it wrong, but do you think that medical assistance should have been offered prior to the interrogation? Were there warning signs that the detectives missed? And should they be held accountable? Let me know what you think. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I post things on TikTok, Serial Napper Nick, and that's all one word. If you're watching on YouTube, I'd love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. And if you're not watching on YouTube, guess what? I post all my videos over on my YouTube channel. Just search for Nikki Young Serial Napper. Until next time, stay safe, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 